Good morning. It's good to be with the church family on, I believe, the first Sunday of the, the new month and the new year. And we praise God for his kindness to carry us through another challenging year all by his grace. Let me pray for us and then we'll get started. Father, we're, we realize that we are here by your grace for your glory. And apart from you, we can do nothing. And we thank you, O God, that you did not treat our sins as they deserve. Lord, if you were to treat our sins, every one of them, as they deserve, O God, who could stand before the holy and righteous God? But we thank you that you're the faithful God, the merciful God, the loving God, the kind and gracious God, the God who saves his people, the God who makes a promise and he carries and fulfills that promise. We bless you, O Lord. Be with your people today. Give us listening ears. Help the preacher to be faithful to your word and to bring glory to your great name. And all of God's people said, Amen. If you're not a Christian, we're grateful to the Lord that you're here with us today. We truly believe that you're not here by accident or chance or coincidence, but you're here by the providential hand of God. And so the question before you today is, what kind of life are you living? Is it for God and for his glory? Or is it for yourself? If you're not a Christian and you're trying to live for God, but God hasn't changed your heart, then you will fail miserably to live for God. Let me liken it like this. If your life is like a field or a harvest field, and you're trying to produce strawberries, but you can't produce strawberries, you're not able to produce strawberries, all you see in your life are weeds. And what you do is you take out your lawnmower, and you start it up, you crank it up, and then you mow down the weeds. You don't see weeds for an hour or two. But did you really take care of the weeds? No, you didn't. What you need to do is go deeper. What you need to do is turn the ground upside down. What you need is actually a new piece of ground to start from scratch. That's what it means to bring glory to God, that God is gracious to his people. And when God converts us by his grace, we do not start with an old heart that loves sin. Rather, we start with a brand new heart that comes from God that loves God and hates sin. And so the main point that I want to get across today is this. The condition of your heart determines how you receive God's word. The question now becomes, what's the condition of your heart? Just some background to our text today. Many people from each town are coming out to see Jesus. The fame of Jesus is spreading. More and more people are hearing about this miracle worker, this wonderful teacher, this religious man. And so more and more people are coming out. And because more people are coming out, here lies the problem. They see Jesus as a teacher 
not necessarily as a savior. They've come to hear about this miracle worker. They've come to see more miracles, but they're not necessarily looking to Jesus to be forgiven. See, the role of a Savior is to save his people from their sins and from the wrath of the holy God. That's what a Savior does. A Savior saves his people. And so Jesus understands the real motivation behind the heart of these massive crowds that are approaching Jesus. And he decides that he's going to challenge them with a parable. Jesus teaches a very important point that applies to all of us today about the heart. Because the heart is the heart of the matter. And Jesus uses this parable of a sower, also known as a farmer. He uses this agricultural illustration as a teaching lesson for his disciples and for you and I today. A parable really is a short story. It's a short narrative with symbolic meaning. Many people like to say it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And I believe that's true. But also we need to understand the purpose of parables because parables are used throughout Jesus' earthly ministry. And parables are very powerful to get the truth across to the audience. Because a parable is very memorable. It's hard to forget once you hear a parable. It causes the audience and the listener to pay careful attention to the content of the message. It helps us to pay attention to what is actually being said. And in verse 10, Jesus explains the secrets of the kingdom of God. Not that it's a secret to keep people away, per se, from the truth. But the secrets of the kingdom of God has been revealed to the disciples of Jesus. We're talking about God's word, God's truth, being revealed to God's people. And so there are two effects when it comes to parables. And I didn't put this in your bulletin, but it's probably good to write this down. There's two effects of parables. One is to reveal truth to God's people. And the second is to conceal God's truth from those who have hardened hearts. They have ears, but they're not able to hear. They have eyes, but they have not the ability to see. They have a heart, but it doesn't beat for God. So a parable reveals the truth to God's people, but it also conceals the truth from those who have no spiritual ears and no spiritual understanding. And so Jesus presents this parable. And then his disciples ask him, well, what does this parable actually mean? What are you really saying? And so in verses 9 through 15, Jesus explains this parable in fuller detail. I'm not going to read verses 9 through 15. I'm going to trust that you're going to be good Christians and good Bible believers, and you're going to read verses 9 through 15. I'm just going to summarize as we go through this sermon. But here's what I want those of us who are, or those of you who are not Christians to understand. 
this message applies to you. And if you're not a, and if you are a Christian, I should say, you may be thinking, well, this message is for brother so-and-so over there in row number three, seat G. Or this message is for my sister over there. In reality, the message is for all of us, Christian and non-Christian. But if you're not a Christian, there's hope for you. If God will give you spiritual ears to hear the truth of God's word, you better listen. You better pay attention. And in verse 11, Jesus, not only does he explain what the parable means, but he defines certain terms. And in verse 11, the word seed is defined by Jesus himself as the very word of God, God's word. And so that should help us as we're reading through this. And in this parable, there are four types of hearts. And they're in your bulletin this morning. The first one is the barren heart, which we'll see in verse 5. And the explanation really is in verse 12. I'm going to spend time, most of the time, on the first three. So the first one is the barren heart. The second one is the shallow heart that Jesus talks about in verse 6, but he really explains it in verse 13. The third type of heart is the infested heart. That's in verse 7, but it's really explained in verse 14. And then finally, the fourth heart, which is the good heart, which is in verse 8, and then explained in verse 15. So why should you listen to this sermon today? You might have read this text a million times, and you've been a Christian 30, 40, 50 years of your life. Why should you listen to this? Because God the Creator has created you. You are an image bearer. God has made you in the image of God. And as image bearers, we're to reflect the glory of God. And every image bearer has a heart. The question now becomes, what type of heart do you have? So this applies to each and every one of us. And I hope that you would be honest with yourself before God, because God knows everything that we're thinking right now. Everything that we're saying right now. He knows you better than you know yourself. So it would behoove you to be honest, not only with yourself, but with God. So the first heart, which is in verse 5, the barren heart. Please read with me. A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some of the seed or some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. Now jump to verse 12. Here's the explanation of it. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So the sower is really a farmer. And this farmer has a bag of seed, and he walks out into the field, and he's sowing seed wherever there's dirt. And some of this seed falls on this path. This path is a hardened path. If you know anything about agriculture or gardening or farming, you understand the broken ground over here is the tilled ground. 
is the broken ground. That's when you throw the seed there, the seed falls into that broken ground, it goes deep, and then it starts to grow. And if you want to go from one field to the next field, there's a path that everybody walks on. Everybody knows where it's at. Everybody walks on the same path. But when you walk on that path, that path is hardened. It's firm. It's like concrete. And so this seed falls on this path that's been trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devour it. This is the barren ground or the barren heart. We understand when we see a hardened path. We know that's where people walk. But the seed that's on this path is crushed by heavy foot traffic, which makes the ground barren. And what makes it worse is that there's these birds, really wild birds that come in to this hard path, this barren path, and they devour and consume the seed that's there. And Jesus explains that the ones or the people are the ones who are on these hard, beaten paths. They, what do they do? They hear. They hear the word of God. And then something terrible happens. The devil comes and takes away God's word from their hearts. Why? You have to read the verse. So that they may not believe and be saved. That they may not believe and be saved. The Bible is very clear that the devil is real. He's a real person with real power, real authority, and real influence. Yet, it's limited. Because why? God is sovereign. Even Martin Luther during the Reformation said, The devil is God's devil. In other words, the devil can't do whatever he wants to do unless God allows it. That's what he meant when he said that. And so the devil is a real person. He's a supernatural evil being. And his name, the devil, literally means slander. He's an enemy of God and an enemy of the cross of Christ. He goes by other names, the evil one or Satan. And the devil, as a real person, has a real mission and goal in this life. To rip away God's word, which is the seed that had fallen on the hard path, to rip that away so that they would not believe and be saved. Every Sunday I step into this pulpit and the pastoral team understands this because we talk about this in our pastoral meetings. That every time that a man of God steps into this pulpit, opens the word of God and says, Thus saith the Lord, there's a very real spiritual battle that's happening right now for your hearts. And the way that it looks like for many of us, when we tune out, we turn to what's the score with the Houston, Texas? Or what's the score with the L.A. Lakers? And though in your mind, that's innocent. But there's a spiritual battle right now for your heart and for your soul. It just looks that way. 
and you think it's innocent, but there's something very real, very spiritual happening behind the scenes right now as I'm preaching. Will you listen to the word of God and heed it? And so that's why we pray in the 11 o'clock service. That's why we pray in the 1.30 corporate prayer meeting. That's why we pray on Wednesday night. That's why we pray at D groups. That's why we pray in our pastor's meetings on Monday nights. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. We need God's help, God's people. And so the devil has a real power and authority and influence, yet it's limited because God is sovereign. Jesus has ultimately defeated the devil when Jesus was raised from the grave. The grave is empty, dear Christian. When he resurrected from the grave, the devil was defeated. If you're the barren heart, the devil does not want you to be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God. See, every image bearer, every human being born on planet Earth has violated and transgressed the law of God in word, in thought, in deed. And James says, whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in one point is guilty of breaking all the law. All it takes for anyone to be condemned by God and sent to hell for all of eternity is not 10,000 sins, not 100 sins, but one sin. And so what do sinners deserve for breaking God's law that has been written upon our hearts? Whether we go to church or not, we know right from wrong, do we not? Because God's moral law has been written on our hearts. Whether you read the Bible or not, whether you hear a sermon from a pastor or not, you know right from wrong. And yet, because of sin, God's wrath is upon the sinner Why? Because breaking God's law is cosmic treason against God, the Creator. The reason we don't think that sin is a big problem is because we think we've sinned against Mickey Mouse and Walt Disney in Anaheim, California. We've sinned against the living God who created you and created me, and He's put His law upon our hearts. And we know it. Yet, we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And so, because there is treason against God, God has every right to judge. That's what makes God, God. That's what makes God holy. He has to judge that which is unholy. Otherwise, he violates his own holiness. He violates his character. He violates himself. If he does not do What he, in his substance, hates. He hates sin. He hates all sin. And therefore, the natural, logical, rightful conclusion is God's judgment against sin. There's a place for unforgiven sinners. There's a place, a real place. 
It's not purgatory. It's called hell. It's called hell. And yet, in God's love and kindness, God has provided a way for sinners to be forgiven and not go to hell. And that's only through the cross of Christ. Listen to what Isaiah says in 50, Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Isaiah describes this suffering servant. This servant would suffer such unimaginable physical pain. He would bear the griefs or sufferings of his people and sorrows of his people. He was stricken, smitten. He was beaten to a bloody pulp and afflicted. According to Deuteronomy 21, 23, a hangman on a cross, a hangman is a cursed man by God. And Jesus is the one on that tree. He is the hanged man. He is the one who went to the cross willingly. He was beaten to a bloody pulp, pierced for our iniquities, and he was chastised. And his chastisement and his suffering brought us peace. He was cursed so that we would be blessed. And for those of us who have personally repented in Christ, trusted in Christ, turned away from our sins, you have peace with God right now. You have peace with God through Jesus right now. Praise God for that. Jesus is the one who suffered the full wrath of God for us so that we would be blessed. Praise God for that. And this message of hope, this message of forgiveness, this message of God's love to the sinner is the exact same message which I would say is the seed that the devil is trying to rip away from those who don't know him. This is what the devil, this is his job description. This is his goal. This is his mission in life is to rip the hope of the gospel, the truth of the gospel away from sinners so that they would not believe. Don't think for one moment that the devil is a figment of the imagination. Don't think for a moment that the devil does not understand that if the seed, the very word of God, germinates, starts to grow, because the purpose of a seed is to germinate, to grow, to give life, to produce a harvest, to produce fruit. The devil understands that once it starts to grow, something good can happen by God's grace. And so the devil's goal is to prevent, by all means necessary, that from happening. And so if you're not a Christian, one of the reasons you're not a Christian is because your heart is barren. You have the barren heart. The devil has ripped God's word and God's hope from your heart. Is that you? 
Be honest with yourself. Is that you? There are some within this room right now under the sound of my voice that are very kind, religious, moral people heading for hell. You have enough truth in your pocket to send you straight to hell. You understand God is holy and mankind is sinful and the only hope is Jesus Christ. So, are you going to rely on your morality or your religiosity or your great career in business or your family values? If you do, that's the barren heart. The second heart, the shallow heart in verse 6, read with me. And some fell on the rock. As it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Here's the explanation in verse 13 by Jesus. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. Jesus explains now that the farmer, the sower, he sowed some seed, which is God's word, and it fell on the rock. And the seed actually germinates. It actually starts to grow. It shows signs of life. But there's no room for the root system to grow and to tap into life-giving water. In other words, during that time frame and that area, there's soil, and just a few inches below the soil is rocks or bedrock. And if you plant a seed there and it starts to grow, it's going to wither away. Why? Because the rock is in the way of life-giving water. So it dries up. Why? Because there's no moisture. There's no water. We understand the necessity, the critical need of water. We live in the Las Vegas Valley. To be a desert, by definition, you need roughly 11 inches of water or less to be considered a desert. We're in Vegas, southern Nevada. We get less than four inches a year in rain. So we understand the importance of tapping into water. And so because this rock is in the way, this is shallow ground. This is the shallow heart. They hear God's word. They show signs of life. They show signs of joy. They go to service for three weeks, six weeks, nine weeks. They believe God's God's word wholeheartedly. But then there's this thing called reality sets in. Real life with real struggles, real people with real problems, with real trials and tribulations, with real hurts and real pains. Real life sets in. And they fall away during this time of testing. They walk away from the God that loves them. They walk away from the Savior who lived and died for them. They walk away from God's word. They walk away from God's truth. They walk away 
from the salvation that comes from God in Jesus Christ. It's a terrible situation. It's terrible. And so many times people read this language of this time of testing and they emphasize this temptation to sin. But in context, I believe the emphasis is more of the idea that it's a testing of faith. It's the testing of your Christian faith in the Christ. It's a testing of faith. And so this shallow heart rejoices until problem comes their way. And then when persecution and difficulty come, their only decision, their final decision, because they don't see Christ as all glorious, is they walk away. It's a terrible event. Hebrews 3.12 says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. An unbelieving heart is the heart that does not trust in God's word and obey God's word. An unbelieving heart is the heart that does not believe in God's word and obeys God's word. They have the heart of the patriarchs. They have the heart of the fathers of old, which is a shallow heart. 1 John 2.19 says this about the shallow heart in walking away from God. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. What was happening in the New Testament church is false teachers came into the church. And the false teachers within the church started to influence other Christians. And so these other Christians, these professing Christians, instead of, instead of following the truth of Christ, instead of obeying God's word, they started to listen to these false teachers. And these false teachers, when they were challenged, they didn't walk away quietly and fade off into the distance, but they actually did so vocally and visibly. They were not silent. They were very visible in church life. They influenced others to walk away from Christ. And so these shallow hearts eventually influence other shallow hearts. Some of you are very familiar with the American writer Mark Twain, known for his real name is Samuel Clemens. And he married a Christian lady. This Christian lady didn't want to marry Mark Twain at first, but eventually she gave in. And at the beginning of their marriage, Mark Twain tried to give Christianity a go. And so he followed all this religious rhetoric and all these religious rituals. And then he came to a point in his life that he admitted to himself, I can no longer do this because I'm a hypocrite. Because why God had not changed his heart. And so in time, the wife came to a place as well, just like Mark Twain, and she no longer believed in a personal God. She no longer believed in the God of the Bible. This is her test of faith. And during a deep struggle, a deep trial, and deep anguish, Mark Twain said to his wife, 
If it comforts you to go back to your Christianity, then go back. And his wife says, I have no Christian faith anymore. It's a sad situation. Mark Twain, the hypocrite, influenced his wife, who was initially a professing believer, who eventually walked away from God's truth in Christ. To make a profession in Jesus and then to walk away is known as apostasy. Apostasy. And so I want to encourage those of you who are professing believers. If you're struggling and you're going through deep hurt and pain and you're tempted to walk away from Jesus, don't. Stop. Quit walking down this path that leads away from Christ, but turn back to Christ. Because if you walk away from Christ, you lose everything. The world will whisper in your ear, you'll have a better life. It's your best life now. You're going to have a wonderful life if you walk away from Jesus. The reality is this, if you walk away from Jesus, you lose everything. You lose the love of God. You lose the peace of God. You lose the forgiveness of God. Don't walk away from Jesus. Don't walk away from the salvation that comes from Him. Recommit yourself to the things of Christ in His Word. Run back to the Savior who has open arms for you right now. Embrace Him. And never let him go. The Bible never promises us an easy life. Those who preach that, God will deal with them in due time. Those who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. You can't run away from that. We live in a Genesis 3 world. But when we go through struggles and trials and tribulation, as a born-again Christian... And God loves us, and He does. He has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And He will carry us through to the end. And at the end of our lives, we will say, it is worth it to honor Christ. It is worth it to hold on to Jesus. Don't let Him go. John 6, 68 says this, Lord, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus challenges the crowd and he says to them, if you eat of the heavenly bread and you believe, you have eternal life. And then Jesus takes it a step further and he says, I am, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. And then the disciples start to have a debate and the people start to grumble because they don't really like what Jesus just said. And in verse 66, it says this. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They came to a conclusion after Jesus said this, that Jesus requires too much of my time too much of my life, too much dedication. Jesus requires my all 
and I'm not willing to give him my all. And in sadness, they turn away from Jesus to no longer walk with Christ. They walked away in unbelief. What a sad and terrible event. Don't let that be said of you, dear Christian. Don't walk away from Christ. Jesus says to the disciples, do you want to go away as well? Jesus sees all these other disciples walk away from him once he makes that statement. And he says, are you going to leave me too? And Simon Peter says, whom, to, whom do we go to? Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. If you walk away from Jesus, you walk away from eternal life. The forgiveness of God in Christ. Real Christians have real problems. That's real life. That's part of living in this world. But Christians with a real faith in a real God, they persevere to the end. They persevere to the end. God helps them. God preserves them, but they also persevere to the end. God is sovereign, yes, but man has a responsibility to persevere to the end. God will help you. If your faith is tested and you're tempted to apostatize and walk away, and you do, you have that shallow heart. The question is, do you have a shallow heart? I pray that you don't. The third type of heart, the infested heart. This is in verse 7. Read with me. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And here's the explanation in verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked out by the cares and the riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Again, the seed is the word of God. And the seed is cast into ground that has thorns. These are literally thorns or weeds. In the Palestinian desert, it was normal for weeds to grow as high as six feet tall. And weeds require more nutrients from the ground. They require more water from the ground. And what it does to the other plants that are nearby, it chokes out their life because why the weed has now taken up all of the life-giving water. And so Jesus explains to them, the thorns are those who hear God's word, but they are choked out by several other enemies. The text is very clear. There's already an enemy, the devil. And he's under God's sovereignty. But this text now reveals that there are other enemies. And these enemies are cares and riches and pleasures of life. Cares, we're talking about anxiousness or anxiety or worries or concerns. This is the person that they're obsessed and they're worried about tomorrow. Riches. This is an overabundance of material possessions. There's a negative connotation 
to wealth and riches in this text. We're really talking about materialism and pleasures. It produces enjoyment. It's something that people are fond of doing. But here's the problem. It's a source of happiness, and God is not the source of that happiness. The Lord is not the source of this pleasure. So these are the people. Instead of hearing and obeying and walking in accordance to God's word and truth, they have focused and shifted their focus on the things of this world. They focus on anxiety. They focus on materialism. They focus on finding happiness in someone or something other than God himself. In the infested heart, no longer focuses on spiritual things. That's the point. They are focused now on material things, on worldly things. They're obsessed with secular things. These material things, like the weeds, have crowded out the spiritual things. And all of these distractions prevent the seed from maturing. They actually choke out the life-giving seed. A couple of days ago, I had a, conver a conversation with my two eldest girls about being close to God, how to be close to God. We're going through a book together. This is the father-daughter time, and that I meet with them every week. And I'm trying to train up my two older girls to be close to God, to hold on to God, to love God with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And in this meeting and about reading this topic, I mentioned to them that you are not close to God by accident. You will never be close to God by accident. To be close to God means you are spending time to be with God. That means you are sacrificing time, effort, possibly money, possibly your hobbies, possibly everything else that's near and dear to your life to be close to God. The problem within the church and the problem within America is that we are not good at being still. We are not good at being silent. We are not good at waiting upon God. We actually hate boredom. Boredom kills us. And what we do in response is, in order for us to kill boredom, we pull out our phone, we pull out our electronic devices, we turn on anything and everything, and we find our hope, our cares, our riches, our materialism in these things. Because why? We hate to be quiet. We hate to be silent. We hate to just spend quiet time with our God who loves us. Why do we spend so much time on temporal things that shift our focus from eternal things? It's difficult for us to be still and know that He is God. And why do we do this? Because our eyes are no longer fixed on God, our Creator, the Almighty One who loves us. 
our eyes are upon ourselves. We want to control our own lives. That's why we worry. And because somebody has gotten in the way or our to-do list isn't achieved on time, guess what? We start to worry and be anxious. James 1.11 says this, For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. It flowers, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. What is the author saying? He's saying everything is earthly, everything is temporal, everything fades away, everything will die in due time. He applies this to the grass, he applies this to the flowers, and he applies that to beauty. And he also applies that to the rich man, which applies to the rich woman. It applies to anybody who's obsessed with wealth and riches. He says that in due time, the rich man will fade away, just like everything else. Why? Their focus is on materialism. So if your focus is on anxiety and care and riches and the pleasures of this world, you have the infested heart. You have thorns in your heart that I hope that, that by God's grace you see today for the very first time. The fourth and final heart is the good heart. This is in verse 8. Read with me. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 15 is the explanation. As for that in the good soil, there are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So the farmer sows seed, and it, the seed falls into the good ground. This is the ground that's broken up. This is the ground that's tilled. This is the ground that is prepared for the seed. And this is beneficial soil. And the seed goes there, and it grows, and it produces a high-producing harvest by a hundredfold, as the text says, which just simply means much harvest. Jesus explains that the good soul are those who hear God's word and they hold on to it. They hold on to it and they never let it go. Meaning they pay attention to God's word and they obey God's word. In other words, they hear the word of God and they properly respond to it. They keep it. They retain it. They cling to God's word with an honest and good heart in context. This is the person with integrity concerning God's revelation through Jesus. God's special revelation is in Jesus. In other words, in order for mankind, any sinner to be saved, God has provided special revelation in Jesus. You have to know Jesus. You have to confess Jesus. you got to hold on to Jesus. You can't look to the stars and say, I believe there's God, and call it quits. 
Even the devil and the demons know that God exists. You need Christ. There's no salvation apart from Him. The one who hears the word and submits humbly to God's word and obeys God's word is the one with integrity. He is the one or she is the one that bears a hundredfold fruit. Not the next day, but read the text with patience. Every harvest comes in due time. There's always a harvest season. And in the meantime, we wait patiently. The way to a mature and fruitful Christian life requires much time and much patience. James 1, 2 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, you hear that? The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Born-again Christians, dear Christians, professing Christians, we will always have difficulty in this life. But the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. But the testing of your faith produces something special. It produces perseverance. You will persevere through difficulty. Have you ever noticed that when there's money in the bank and you haven't been to the doctor in years and your health is great and your kids love you and your pets love you and you got no problem in the world and the IRS is leaving you alone? Have you ever noticed when that happens, your prayer life dwindles? Your commitment to God's word wanes? Your dependence upon God is nil and void. But as soon as there's problems in our lives, as soon as there's health concerns, as soon as there's no more money in the bank, what do we do? We run all the way back to God. And we say, God, help me. Help me. Forgive me for my lack of love for you. Have you ever noticed that? But the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance produces mature Christian character. Every problem that comes into your life and my life is designed by the hand of the Sovereign One. And when your problem drives you to your knees and calls out to God for help, God is good and gracious and kind. And the problem has served its purpose. The problem has served its purpose. And if you understand, dear Christian, that God is sovereign even over your problems, you can have joy any time in life. Your circumstance does not dictate your joy. We have God. And we can be joyful in any circumstance. Philippians 1.6 says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, listen to this, will bring it to completion on a certain day. At the day of Jesus Christ. God has promised 
that He will persevere you to the end. He has promised to preserve us to the end by His grace, for His glory, to the end. Isn't that encouraging? If you're one-fourth into a marathon, God doesn't leave you. If you're halfway there or you're about to cross the finish line, He doesn't leave you. He's going to bring you all the way to the end. Why? Because He created you. Why? Because He predestined you. Why? Because He loves you and He cares for you. He's going to bring you all the way home. It is by grace and grace alone to persevere to the end. God finishes what he started, dear Christian. Take great encouragement from that. And how does one receive this good heart? If you realize through the sermon, I don't have that good heart that Pastor Rollo is talking about. I want that good heart. I need that good heart. Cry out to God until he gives you that new heart. Beg God, plead with God for a new heart until he gives you that new heart. And if you have this good heart, praise God. That's a sign and evidence that he loves you. He gave you a new heart that beats for him, that loves him, that adores him, that obeys him. Praise God for that. As I wrap up here, there's a story of an elderly Christian man who was a fine singer. He was classically trained, and he sang wonderfully in the church. He goes into the hospital one day, and he's diagnosed with cancer of the tongue. And before his operation, he looks at the surgeon, and he says, Doctor, will this, will this be the very last time I'll be able to sing for Jesus? And the doctor didn't have the guts or the courage to tell him, you're not going to be able to sing for Jesus anymore. He just simply nodded his head, no. And this Christian man says to the nurse, can you please help me sit up? And he says these wonderful words. I've had many good times singing the praises of God. And now you tell me I can never sing again. I have one song that will be my last. It will be of gratitude and praise to God. And this dear old Christian man sang softly the words of Isaac Watts' hymn. Quote, I'll praise my maker while I have breath. And when my voice is lost in death, Praise shall employ my nobler power. My days of praise shall never be past. While life and thought and being last or immortality endures. He says, because he knows God is his hope, he will never sing for Christ again. And he says, I will praise my maker while I have breath. This is a great example, a wonderful example of the good heart going through great turmoil and difficulty. But his hope is in the living God, God's people. His hope is in Christ. 
I hope you would be honest with yourself this morning. What kind of heart do you have? Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. Quit playing games with God. God knows all things anyway. You can lie to Pastor Rolo. You can't lie to God. And if you have this good heart, guess what? That seed, that word of God has germinated in your heart. He's given you a heart. Your heart loves God. You were designed to live for God. And if need be, die for God. That's what you're designed to do. You were designed to give God glory with your life. If you're born again, you no longer own your life. Jesus owns your life as he owns my life. And so what does it mean? It means this, you obey God's word and you humbly submit to it with joy. Humbly submit to God's word with joy. And if you have this barren heart, you have this shallow heart, you have this infested heart, what you need is not more money and not more health and not more social media friends. What you need is God in Christ. What you need is the Savior who actually saves his people from their sins. He saves them from the wrath of God. To those who repent and trust in him are saved. Is that you? Is that you? Because right now, if you don't, you're on a hell-bound race. And I love you enough to tell you the truth of that from God's Word. You need to repent and trust in the Lord. And I hope and pray that you would talk to some Christian man or Christian woman before you leave today. You may not make it to tomorrow morning. Sermon in a sentence. The ones with spiritual ears better listen and heed God's word carefully. The one with ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, O God. We thank you, O Lord, for loving us, being gracious and kind to us. Lord, we thank you for the word that we've heard. And we admit to you, O God, that we have been distracted. Forgive us, O God, again in Christ. Remind us of how majestic and beautiful and glorious our Savior is. Help us, O God, to hate our sins and things that pull us away from you. We thank you that you're faithful, even though we're unfaithful. Help us to honor you now. In Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.